You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience member and artist designed to demystify the classical music and opera experience. If you enjoy the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, and really, who wouldn't, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support. The latest Thoroughly Good Classical Music podcast, well, it's a bit of a hit-and-run kind of affair. The software I'm paying for does now finally work, and it's a joy to use too. But what that means is that I'm able to record, edit, and publish basically all in one day. That makes things a whole lot swifter and easier. This conversation then is between me and conductor Timothy Henty. Henty has worked with many UK orchestras, including the Academy of St Martin in the Fields, BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, Gothenburg, Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra, Royal Northern Symphony, Ulster Orchestra, many others, and closer to my home at least, the London Mozart players. And it's with them during lockdown that he's conjured up something marvellous, something that feels like it's almost been made specifically for me. A series of YouTube Documentaries, maybe, featuring contributions from people he's worked with in opera performance. And having watched half of the first one with Tony Papano and a handful of others, uh, I found I was both gripped and strangely relieved at the same time. It's the kind of in-depth stuff that is lacking, I find. And importantly for me, it's successful content that's been made on a shoestring. There's no music in this podcast, there's only conversation about the series, which is part of the At Home with LMP series. Just search Google for At Home with LMP and you'll see the link to the page and then look for The Grounded Conductor. That is Timothy Henty's series. But it's also a conversation that focuses on content production, specifically content production for the arts in this weird extended period of downtime. LMP invites donations for its content as a charitable organisation in order to meet some of its production costs. That's important to stress because right now there's an emerging debate about the ethics of organisations offering free content to audiences as a way of maintaining brand awareness during this period. It's something I've struggled with on a personal and a professional level. And interestingly, it's something I only felt comfortable exploring with Timothy towards the end of our conversation. He has some useful perspectives too. You get it from Carlo. <laughs> um, uh, super. Okay. So, so, so the other thing that I, that I find myself wanting to ask people is, what can you see out of your window, your nearest window? Well, um, if I didn't have all the windows shut and barred at the moment because of the filming that I'm doing, I've actually got a green screen put up at the moment with. Uh, uh, you know, umbrella lights and all of this kind of business to try and get these films done. But uh, if the curtains were indeed open, I would see my car park because uh, I live in a block of flats, but then also followed by some trees, which is nice. And, uh, you know, the trees trees are good. We like the trees. Uh, and we like the squirrels in the trees, but we don't particularly like, uh, you know. <laughs> Not being able to get out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't get out there. But So, uh, so, so the, the green screen thing is something that obviously you've you've, taken delivery of since lockdown then in order to make these films 
Yeah, I mean, this was uh, the the whole film thing came around uh, just because London Mozart players wanted me to uh, contribute to their uh, online uh, content delivery called At Home with LMP, and uh, I've never really made films before. To have be you honest, not? have I, you I not? Thought, I thought, not really, no. But I thought I'd have a go, and. Um, uh, you know, I sort of started uh, just on the uh, just on iMovie, really, just on my phone, uh, my, my uh, uh, computer, sorry. And then I kind of got into it. And it's funny because, you know, musicians, mostly the ones that I know anyway, don't have many hobbies because music is our hobby. And then we're always on the road with the music. Uh, and it's we just happen to get paid for what we love doing, which is amazing. Um, so I never really had a hobby before. And I have to say, during lockdown, I think I've discovered one because uh, it's, it's nice to do sort of something a bit different and um, nice to kind of get a little bit nerdy. But I'm very nerdy about most things. And it's nice to get nerdy about something else. Uh, so yeah, I would kind of got into it. And I ended up getting this green screen. I'm only actually using it, I think, for one of the episodes. Um, oh. But uh, um hopefully to to relatively good effect if i can get it to work um yeah but uh so that that's really my my whole living room is taken up completely it's a, it looks like an absolute bonsai at the moment with just little bits of it where you can uh see you, you know a nice background and then all the rest of it is just piled over the other side of the room so I don't uh, I'm living in, living, in relative, too, living in relative squalor at the moment i don't want to i don't want to be too personal but i'm making the assumption that you live alone I do live alone. <laughs> right, okay, fine. Because yeah. I can't imagine any other partner who would be going. No, that's fine, darling. You, you, you put all of that there. You describe it as a bomb. I just can't imagine absolutely. that. Absolutely. That well, happening. I have my, I have my son half the time, and when he comes in, he absolutely loves it because every time he comes in, there's a new gadget or a new light to play with or something. Right. Uh, so he's having right. a great time, to be honest. He's, he's. Uh, at some point, though, I do need to tidy it all away. I think actually that's kind of at the end of this week, which is uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I realized, I realized that I made it sound made it sound as though I was judging you. I mean, I suppose I was on a level, uh, but I am. Tried, I, I might not listen to you. <laughs> Um, what I am uh, really surprised about, having watched uh, the first half of, I think, the first film, which has got Tony Papano in it, mm. um, I'm amazed to discover that you hadn't made videos before, because actually, as soon as I started watching it, it was like, oh, at last, somebody's made something like this um, for me. I mean, that's how it felt. But yeah, I realise that's a bit weird. Um, what, what no, not at all. It's for you, and it's it's for any, anyone who likes that kind of thing. Well, I mean, it's just the passion of it, really. I mean, I I, I really um, basically I just sat sat at home wondering what to do for LMP, and um, I've been going on these uh, video calls just to you know call my parents and call my mates up, and as as we all do because we can't actually see anybody, and I thought, you know, who would I actually want to really talk to? on who would I really want to, to to talk to you know and it just sort of I just sort of thought wow you know it'd be wonderful to talk to Tony Papano about conducting opera or um you know uh Tony Hadley about pop music or or something like that and um you know I put this idea together and and because I was doing it for the London Mozart players and for that great cause at home with LMP uh of course people did take notice of it and these people are very generous now it does help that I assisted Tony Papano when I was when I was younger when I started out uh, and I was a sort of a young assistant conductor um on one production at the opera house I was um assisting him so he kind of knew who I was and most of the people that I've got most of them not all of them most people that I've got um on the program 
I know uh, either personally or through a friend. But um, that is how journalism works, isn't it? Sort it of. Is, I'm not all journalism, but know, really, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> is. I think that's how television programs are basically made. Well, also because you have to have the idea if you want to interview someone, you've got to know the sort of person that you want to interview as yes. well. Um, I mean, today uh, uh, the second film has come out, which is uh, conducting for jazz and pop artists. And what I really wanted to do is is uh, look in detail at. Uh, the kind of style of playing from an orchestra's point of view uh, in an uh, orchestral jazz setting or in a big band setting um, and kind of say, you know, if you're in a normal orchestra uh, that is uh, putting on a light music concert uh, without any particular jazz specialists, but you've got to su suddenly play all of these uh, big band charts, which of course does happen because it's a very popular part of an orchestra's um subscription series you know a pops pops concert uh it's good financially uh you know then what are the best practices and how do we do this in the best possible way and uh, you know just sort of ended up uh going on this thought train of who to really talk to and ended up with some of the most incredible session players and um uh you know top specialist minds who were very very happy because of course they're all sitting at home as well very very happy just to talk about what they're passionate about and what they love um and i think that's what has been so fantastic with this series is that once you get everybody sitting on <laughs> sitting at home on their own twiddling their thumbs for for what a better expression um you start to realize actually that how passionate they are about what they do um, and it's a wonderful to be able to catch up with these people because most of the time they're on the road. You can't you can't talk to these yeah, people. Yeah, it does. It does strike me actually that uh, certainly, as I say, watching the first episode, that that now is the time um, to because essentially we've we've all been put on. We've hit pause. We've had to hit pause. There is now the opportunity for time to go into detail and. My my feeling about sort of classical music television, for example, has always been that there's never really felt like there's enough time. There, there's not been mm. enough time given to exploring stuff. Mm. Uh, and now there is the time and there, there are the platforms. And actually, it, it takes one person who wants to explore that kind of subject material. And suddenly, all of the mechanics of the process, all of the things that we would otherwise take for granted are laid bare uh, and this is a great time for sort of taking stock of those things that that perhaps previously we took advantage of or took for I, granted rather i i completely agree with that and i do feel that uh you know a lot of um the coverage of these issues uh it, i wouldn't say uh i wouldn't say it's not very good it's just it's, it's just fleeting and in not uh, it lacks depth not because of people wanting it to lack depth but because as you say you know, there's not an awful lot of airtime for that kind of stuff. And then not an awful lot of time for uh, producers and writers of programs to actually get those things together. Whereas now, I mean, literally everybody's sitting at home. And if you're passionate about something, as you say, now is the time to do it. Is this um, an articulation of your own interests? I mean, are you, uh, and so I suppose I'm asking you as a, as a content producer now, are you, on some level, are you creating content which is satisfying your own appetite? definitely but from um, um yes because because i've not really created this kind of content before i wanted episodes that i would feel really comfortable doing um i don't really think that you can go in depth about uh, uh you know opera for example uh, and how to conduct opera if you've 
not conducted opera before now that that now of course that's really arguable and you could come back and say well of course a wonderful tv producer would be able to uh, but my point mm. is getting it together quite quickly you know in your in essentially basically in my living room um you've got to be able to answer ask the right questions um i certainly didn't feed anything into anybody but the sort of questions i was asking tony papano came from the point of view of me having conducted opera professionally myself so yeah. You know, uh, I'm sort of saying to him, you know, what's the relationship between you and the deputy stage manager? And I wonder if you hadn't actually been in that situation yourself, would you think to ask that question? In the well, first indeed. Point? And actually, you're just the opening, the opening of that particular episode, that that idea of um, because I've always thought it. Who exactly is the boss? <laughs> is right. it the director okay, yeah. or is it the conductor? Uh, and actually, isn't there a bit of tension there? And, and nobody really. I mean, obviously. Uh, those who go in depth about opera and who experience opera on a on a very regular basis or who immerse themselves in it will will have the answer to that but as someone who doesn't often experience opera that is a question that I didn't realize I posed myself so so I find that quite interesting and and also the point about uh and I think I've got this right our appreciation of what an operatic production is now is rooted in Freud is that right well, yes. I mean, uh, yeah. I know where you. I know where you're coming from. This whole idea, I think, about. Well, let let me take that in two parts. The first, the the first part of it was who's in charge, and yeah. I think the original idea was, you know, if if Mozart or Wagner conducted the first performance of their opera, uh, Wagner less so, but Mozart did, I think. Um, you know, he. You know, there's no question who's in charge. And also, you know, the uh, curtain would open, uh, you know, on come singer. There's not a great deal of thought process behind it. You know, I mean, if, if you know, if you're singing from a balcony, someone might have painted a balcony, that would have been good. Um, but generally speaking, uh, they were quite simple productions. And then you get to quite really, really quite late in the day, um, uh, you, you know, around about the second half of the 20th century, really, uh, middle of the 20th century, I guess, um, where people start to change and think, what are we actually putting on the stage? Um, and starting really with the Wagner operas, um, Wieland Wagner, grandson of Richard Wagner, so of course he had a bit of a leg up there as well, started to say, right, okay, well, we're not going to set it on a balcony or at the bottom of the Rhine. We're going to set it in inside someone's head or, or in a kind of space where we can explore other issues at the same time. Uh, you know, what's the psychology of this? And, um, uh, you know, what, are we, what, what other story can we tell? And that's kind of developed very quickly into what we see now in opera productions. And the norm really now, if you go to a major opera company and you open the curtains on something you're very unlikely to see a forest glade you're more likely to see you know uh, like a cardboard box in the middle of the room and you know someone crying over it or something and then they're, then mm. <laughs> they're telling mm. they're telling some other crazy story you have to work out and we can sort of we we can make fun of that a little bit and i was uh, just been a little bit flippant about it and i didn't mean to be really um the uh point is that the conductor is trying to do this score that's been around for hundreds of years, the director might be telling a completely different story. Mm. If they don't collaborate, we're in trouble. 
and that's and, and, one of the major first bits. Yeah, go on. For, me, mm. for me, for me, that's what I find really interesting, and I think that's possibly symptomatic of the the time uh, available now. Is that that is reminding me of an aspect of classical music and the arts that I had forgotten or overlooked, or or perhaps in some people's cases they hadn't even realised, and so it's sort of it's this period provides us with an opportunity to explore that stuff and understand what is involved, why it's such a big deal. And uh, I really value that. And I think now is the time to be doing that. As you know, I value it too. And uh, although I even work in that environment, um, you know, I, I of course take these things for granted because that's just how it is. And, you know, I know the relationship that I have with the director or the, the stage manager or, or, or the orchestra uh, because it's my job. But actually, sometimes you have to stop and think about it as an as an enthusiast uh, and take stock of what it actually is that you do and talk to someone else who might have slightly different ideas. And then you say, oh, well, actually, you know, oh, I've never thought about it like that. A few things like that have come up in just little details in what Tony Papano was saying little details in what Lawrence Dale was saying um, that I just thought, oh, you know, actually, yeah, I should have been doing that as well, you know. So I think it's good, good for everyone. It's almost, really like created, almost like you've created your own masterclass. That's, that's what you're just for you. Oh, I think it's interesting. I hope everybody else thinks it's interesting. As well. I, but I do firmly believe, and I have these, I have these conversations with radio producers and television presenters who are uh, television producers who I would charitably describe as being slightly long in the tooth, even though some of them are younger than me. Uh, and and I, I, my point to them is, and to a lot of marketeers that, or marketers rather that. If you're going to create content, there has to be a significant part of the impetus or the output that has an element of you in it. Because if if you don't have, if there's not you in it, then you're not really going to enjoy the creative process, and that will be reflected in the end product. Absolutely, uh, because it won't be it won't be authentic. It won't be it won't have integrity. And I don't, you know, I don't mean that we're all in, employed in creative in creating works of art. It's just that people. But the audience are not idiots. They they will know when something doesn't quite sit right, even if they can't articulate why. And the way in which you ensure against that is to make sure that you are effectively creating the content for you, the first member of the audience. That's right. Yeah, sorry, I've gone into a bit of a rant there. I'm very sorry. About well, that. It's, it's good. <laughs> rant away. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's having a personal voice and having an enthusiasm in it. And uh, you know, if it wasn't, if, if these topics weren't things that I really am passionate about, um, then it, uh, you know, it wouldn't be really be any point in me doing it. I might as no, well indeed. just you might as well on the, phone it in. <laughs> but yeah, phone it in or just play on the PlayStation. To be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, you know, I mean, I could I could spend lockdown like that as well. Um, but I think uh, you know, I mean, these these issues are really passionate to me, and they they run through the whole of the series as well. So uh, you know, the one that's just come out today, we've got uh, conducting for jazz and pop artists out today. Uh-huh. There's a bit at the end where we sort of tackle this issue about the relationship between a conductor and an audio engineer that sits out in the front mixing. Um, and, I mean, it, it may not occur to people that the relationship between those two people has typically been zero. Oh, really? So the conductor is trying to put all this together and get internal balance right and get the sound right and the, the warmth of everything. 
And everything in a large venue, and I, I work in large venues a lot, we are mics. Sometimes we are contact mics, which means the, 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 uh, there's a little bug mic, a tiny little microphone that actually is clipped onto the violin. Um, and that is what the audience actually hear. Now, I consider it completely bonkers that the relationship between audio engineer and conductor is usually not just um, zero, but, you know, some sound engineers feel that they can't even say hello to the conductor. They can't even make themselves known to the conductor. But as I say in the film, no conductor that I know that's worth their salt that has actively looked at this issue surely would say you know if i had a relationship with this guy or this lady i would make um you know i would make things 10 times better and i would get uh, closer to what the composer wanted but actually i'm not going to do that because tradition dictates that you don't talk to the guy in the box that's terrible oh, so, that's so there terrible. is so i was about to say is that is that because of a projection on the part of the audio engineer? And I realise that we're making sweeping generalisations here. I thought Huge originally, like, yes, uh, uh, I wondered whether it was to do with projection on the part of the engineer, you know, as in sort of, this is the maestro. You know, the, term, the terminology around how we name conductors it brings me yeah. out in hives because I don't think that necessarily helps in a working it's environment. It's terrific. Oh, it's uh, terrific. And, and yeah. I think describe... I think it's very an insult, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it's just... And, I, and also I know, I know of some... Some, some people say, oh, I always call them maestro, especially if I can't pronounce or I can't remember the name. Or I think, well, then you need to try a little bit harder. Yeah, frankly, or just because say hello, you're... quite frankly. <laughs> yes, you know. yeah. um, uh, but but it, it sounds as though it's not a projection. It sounds as though it is convention or it's, it's sort of this perception of tradition. There is um, a, a whole history behind the way that this doesn't work as a relationship. Um, the uh, audio engineer um is uh, traditionally uh looking up to this great maestro and therefore can't bother him or her at this time of great need in the rehearsal and therefore just needs to slink out of the way that's the first thing secondly audio engineers every fantastic audio engineer that i know and i know some top top audio engineers they're all great musicians but the uh, traditional thinking is that they're not musicians at all. They're a different thing. They they didn't study in the great music college and therefore, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's a different kettle of fish. Well, that's also mostly rubbish. So that is one thing. And then Maestro on the podium uh, just wants everything done his way, wants everything sorted out and isn't thinking a, a sound engineer can make, can amplify things. It's against physics for them to make things quieter. So they can't fix an acoustic and they can't fix internal balance and they can't blend a string sound. That's your job. So if you want a homogenous sound that actually comes out and is your impression of what it needs to be, surely your best friend needs to be this guy. Absolutely. Yes. However, it doesn't work like that. And so therefore, on the other side of things, there is a stereotype of some audio engineers who, as a defense mechanism, as a psychological defense mechanism, will say, oh, we're not going to talk to them. We're okay. not going to deal with that. Yeah. And so there this thing builds up and builds up. And over 50 years, this is being built up to the point now, whereas I have to actively run around trying to find this person, say, who are you? And wow. they will slink out. 
of the way. Now, when I work for Cine Concerts, which is the American uh, company that puts on live to projection film concerts, we go all over the world putting on Harry Potter in concert. Loads of people come. We do these things in basketball arenas, 10,000 people at a time. Everything's contact mic'd. That person is also the production manager. So I do have a close relationship with that person. And still, I've spent two years bashing the door down. And I finally got to the point where we actually sit with a full score over a pint and talk about this bit that needs to be like that, this bit needs to be like that. And it's, it's this world is really unheard of. So there is a short segment of me talking to one of the great audio engineers that I know saying, you know, come on, what about this? And try to shed some light on it. It's very short, obviously. Um, it's a hell of a lot shorter than me rambling on at you. <laughs> well, no, I would great. It's a great don't don't do yourself down. Actually, I was really enjoying really the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's very passionate to me, um, and I and I really feel that you know, public should be made aware of this. You know, yes. um, I mean, you know, what I'm, what uh, I'm interested in, what, what I'm interested in when I uh, hear you explain that is that. At the same time, the audio engineer always gets credit. I mean, always gets credit. And and if you go back um, into the archives of jazz recordings or orchestra yes. recordings, actually, in some cases, the the audio engineer, the producer, is 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 heralded. You know, is part of the creative process. But let's not confuse the two issues. What you're talking about there is a recording. What I'm talking about is a live performance. And then you bet basically they get no credit whatsoever. Oh, I, do I see. Okay, right, right. Degree. You know, uh, the John Coleshaws of the world are um, rightly lauded for their great work. But it's also, can you imagine, for example, in Harry Potter in concert, we've got a massive dialogue track, a huge sound effects track, We've got something like 100 people on stage for Harry Potter 3, uh, choir, massive percussion section, synths, synths with about 300 different patches going on, uh, full strings and all of this kind of stuff. And that all has to be mixed in a basketball arena. Mm. And it has to be a good enough mix for them to put a clip of it on Instagram and for it to please the top dogs at Warner Brothers. Right. Okay. Yeah. Pressure. Yeah. Just a bit. Uh, and these guys do it. And we are passionate about um, delivering that to uh, the people who own these things because we're privileged to do it. So, uh, you know, our quality control on that is, is huge. And the guy sitting behind the desk has got a massive job to do. If you're not friends with him, you're not going to get what you want as a conductor. Absolutely. Does that does that tension occur in, in a recording studio? I mean, my assumption is that it does. it's less so. Yeah, it is definitely less so. And I think one of the reasons for that is that most conductors feel slightly out of their depth in a recording studio. Um, it's a very different environment, uh, not out of their depth musically, but it is, a, 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 you know, from my experience of doing it, it's very, very different environment of music making. Uh, you know, in a concert, you know what you're doing there. You've been trained to do that. You go into a recording studio, somebody else makes it all work. And, you, you know, you're you're making a music in all, almost a kind of an artificial environment and you have to try. And there's also this pressure of uh, consistently trying to create, you know, your very best performance with no spontaneity and no audience there to sort of focus your attention. So it's a very, very difficult environment to work with. Also very time pressured. And then you rely 
very much on the audio engineers. And it is quite funny how we rely on them, you know, almost like little children in a recording studio. And then we get into a live situation and the guy out the front is no higher than, you know, putting the wires together, basically. Whereas and the actually, and the, difference, trained. the difference is, is that in the live situation, the conductor has, a, has an audience or at least knows that there is an audience on its way. And it's it's the conductors and the orchestra's domain, isn't it? Uh, yes. The, the audience are not necessarily, they didn't come to see the mics. Whereas if you uh, are an enthusiast of recordings, you know, you would say, oh, wow, you know, I, uh, this is a fantastic room that they've recorded, or I just love the way that this yes, is exactly. edited. Yes, exactly. Yes. You don't, you don't get any of that in a live performance. You just come see the live performance. And, you know, hopefully you won't even notice that the mics are there. The audio engineer would also want that. We don't want you to notice that the mics are there. but you know, also, uh, I'm not going to show you how I mark up a score. Well, I mean, I might show you, but I'm not going to show the audience. So um, I get that. I get that it's a lack of familiarity with the space, possibly that accounts for the difference in in experience. Mm. Uh, but I wonder whether there's a sort of a, a sense of superiority. Uh, I'm not speaking about you necessarily, but but for some conductors that actually, when they're in their domain, when it's their platform, then actually, this is my show. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of egos in this business, you know. Uh, I should be careful what I say because maybe someone <laughs> thinks I'm, I've got it as well. You know, I mean, you can't you can't stand up on that podium if you don't if you're not at least self confident. And to be honest, in my the early part of my career, I had a major problem with that. I had all sorts of rehearsal anxiety and all of that kind of stuff because I'm not I, I wasn't originally that sort of problem uh, person. You know, let's keep it light, shall we, John? Let's move on. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so we've all got let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> we've got this. Uh, we've got this sort of self confidence uh, that that's sort of ex- exuded, and sometimes it's fake from the, uh, the the podium. And actually, that kind of fake self confidence leads to sort of a professed ego. I think, yes, uh, in some people, you know, uh, actually, these people are often the most insecure and the the real people who can get the authority are the people who are calm and who trust the people around them yes i i i agree i remember working on a working at Albra on a um on a vocal masterclass course for the britain peers school i think it's perfectly Mm. fair to to tell this story now and it was my first year working there and the the administrator the person who'd commissioned this particular masterclass course was beside herself with stress because it was Dame Joan Sutherland and oh my god it's Dame Joan Sutherland everything has to be everything has to be ironed twice including the newspapers and nobody should look at her in the eye and and that kind of thing uh and everything has to be cleaned within an inch of its life and actually when Joan Sutherland arrived no surprises she was utterly adorable and the easiest artist to deal with why Mm -hmm. because she didn't have anything to prove and um, uh, <laughs> I remember this sort of 10-day course being anticipated as the most stressful point in somebody's career. Uh, and mm-hmm. then when, when, when the woman arrived, it's like, oh, oh, yes. Well, it's all fine, really, isn't it? Um, so I think there's something in that. I, I, I agree with you. Um, you, have, you, have shattered, you have shattered illusions, challenged assumptions. Uh, and I think that, as I said at the beginning of the interview, that's what what this time is probably quite useful for. I want to challenge you with one thing mm. because I haven't I haven't done it with anybody yet for fear that I might offend them. 
But no, the one thing, it. the one thing that has emerged during this period in time is the debate around giving content away for free. I'm mm. somebody who who has always given content away for free because I've seen it as a marketing opportunity in a desperate bid to get uh, a job. Uh, obviously, I am fully employed. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. um, I've I've always seen content as marketing. Uh, and that the challenge is about creating marketing content, which is interesting and doesn't seem like marketing content. But right now, a lot of musicians uh, and a lot of content producers, a lot of digital marketers are sort of are questioning whether we should be giving out as much content for free as we are. And I wonder, I obviously, I mean, you can tell where I am with it. I wonder what your view whether you've experienced that, whether you're aware of that debate or what your view is. Completely. Okay, two things there. First, um, we are doing at home, well, as far as I'm concerned, at home with LMP is akin to uh, a charitable action because London Mozart players, like a lot of orchestras, probably more than most people realise, even the really, really top, symphony or large symphony orchestras are not salaried at all the players are members of that orchestra but they continue to be freelance therefore all the major symphony orchestras with the exception of the bbc they're on the salary but uh, you know and some of the others but most of the big symphony orchestras are completely freelance therefore what are they earning at the moment nada when you get to london mozart players that's a uh, a fantastic orchestra that has got a long uh, history and legacy and all of that kind of stuff. But it's a small organisation. Of course it is. It has to be because it's a small orchestra. It's a chamber orchestra. And, you know, they can't put on film, massive film concerts. Well, I, I did do a film concert with them, but they can't put on a, a huge, <laughs> but they can't put on huge sort of things. They can't, they can't back massive pop singers. That's not their remit. They do Mozart and they do Beethoven. They do it brilliantly. And that's fantastic. But um, can you survive this situation, this this crisis, um, you, you know, uh, just, you know, just by sitting at home and twiddling your thumbs? So at home with LMP is primarily a charity action and uh, at the end of each film there is a, a link to donate to the LMP not just to the players themselves but also to the administration so that we've still got an LMP yes. at the end yeah. and that's what I was asked to do and that's what I was doing it would I do it would I have would I have done all of this had I not been asked by LMP to do it I don't think it would have come into my head would I have um charged for it no because i don't consider myself a professional filmmaker although it'd be nice to have a second job doing it i have to say i love it um but um no i wouldn't have charged uh for it do i think that um we should start charging for things yes eventually i do because how long is this going to go on for yes you know, I mean, when are we all actually going to get back? My, I mean, I'm I'm on next to zero at the moment. The reason why is that my whole career is spent conducting in arenas. Well, 80% of my career is spent conducting in arenas, and then the rest of it is spent in an opera house. So um, we're talking about lots of people crammed into a short, small space of time, you know, all screaming and clapping and applauding and sweating. So um, 
that is not a great place at this at this moment. And even if we all get back to work and we all go on buses and all of that kind of stuff, are we really going to be packing into arenas anytime soon? So, not I mean, next year, and some would argue that that isn't even that's a little premature. Right. So, I mean, this is a huge issue for everybody's mental health um, as well as financial health. So eventually we're going to have to start charging for content but then we're really going to have to think about what we're putting out. And then it's not cute lockdown videos with the four squares and the people all singing together no, in different rooms. We've really, we've done that now. We have to think on a much bigger scale and we have to present things that are worth paying for. I think, first of all, you have to do that for free so that people can see that it's worth it. And then you have to really up your game and... If we're going to do online performances, let's do them, but they need to be top quality. And that's what I'm trying to now prepare with the LMP as a, as a, a, a full remote performance of Peter and the Wolf by Prokofiev. That will be the last film that I do for them so far. Wow. Um, and uh, there's it's the full orchestral version of it that we're doing. And I'm going to put it together, but I'm also directing it as well. Uh, I don't want to give too much away about it, really, but uh, but basically because I'm still working, I was possible. Yeah, no, that's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. I, I wasn't. I wasn't really going silent so that you could sort of yeah, dig yourself no, into a no, massive no. hole. No, no, no. But it's it's happening. It's happening. So um, you know that is a, a, a you know a, a good proving ground, I think, to see can we do something of of real worth and also you know who would who would actually buy it many mm. people would come to a concert but are they going to buy a link to a video who does that where is that audience? well i just wonder whether yeah i just wonder whether though uh this period of time i like i i'm reassured by you saying i think we have to give it away for free now um, yes. and then reform what that content offer is uh, with a view to getting people to pay for it. I, I get that. I think there is an assumption, there is quite a black and white take uh, in some parts of the debate, which is if you give it for, away for free, you'll never be able to charge for it. I'm not sure that I necessarily buy into that view. Uh, I think that everything is up for grabs. And I do wonder, hearing you speak, whether now is the time for... Um, uh the rules around what makes good online content to be slightly redefined so that you know that for example that idea of uh you can uh, a video should be no more than three minutes long that was a, that was a thing that i heard loads of at the bbc mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. as soon as i as soon as video on twitter and video on instagram became a thing then people were going well you can't make a video for any longer than 30 seconds and it became sort of less of a mantra and more of something that was beaten over the head with you uh on you know you you were beaten over the head by i wonder whether now actually if you like you say if you're going to sell something to somebody if you're going to get people to pay for it then mm. that's an argument for longer form content and yeah. people might just bite so long as what they get in return is something that they're not getting somewhere else true i mean my uh first two films have been uh, around about the one hour mark so the three minute video is well out of the window yes um and I just feel um, that I had to explore those issues properly. Now, are the next two videos going to be like that? No, probably not. Next week, it's uh, programming and devising children's concerts. Uh, 
uh, which I think is an important issue. But is it as in depth as working out, uh, you know, the difference between uh, a 1920s swing and a 1960s swing in conducting for jazz artists? No, probably not. No, because there's not so much material there, I imagine. Not so much material. So if there's, if it, if it takes me, you know, 20 or 30 minutes to say what I need to say, then I'm not going to beat myself up about that at all. I'm not going for uh, any particularly long videos. It's just those first two, the opera and the jazz and pop artists, were sprawling issues that needed to be discussed properly or not at all, in my view. So uh, I do think longer content is there. I do think that we should work out who how to pay for it but of course everybody's in financial straits at the moment nobody has really any uh expendable income to, to to speak of that i know or at least in my little bubble so um you know is the time now to say that we should be paying for it no i don't i don't think no. so but i think that we should be gearing ourselves up to the fact that you know, people should people should have an idea of what they are going to buy, and you, they should be able to trust the content providers to produce high quality stuff. Um, and that's what we're all trying to go for, really. You know, it's a massive learning curve for me because, as I say, I've only just started. So, um, oh, well, you're very good at it. There we are. That's my. Thank uh, that, you. That I sounds. That. That, I realise that sounds slightly insincere, uh, but uh, but it is genuine. Um, there were so many other things that were on the list, but unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, I've now. It's now been brought to my attention that I'm meant to be in another meeting. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I'm well. talking to you, frankly. Uh, but um, so the things that were on the list were Gilbert and Sullivan, because obviously mm-hmm. you're a big Gilbert and Sullivan fan. I have to tell you, I hate it. But maybe Fair we'll enough. do that for another podcast where you can tell me why I shouldn't. Uh, like and it? Michael Michael Legrand, you've met Michael Legrand, didn't you? That was on oh, the list. I worked with him. I, wor- I worked oh, with him, yes. yes. Oh, oh and unfortunately... We've run out of time. So um, we'll have to come back to that because I adore him and I know nothing about him. Let um, me know. I'm not going anywhere, so let me know. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, when you've, you know, when you've cleared up the bomb site, then I'll come back to you. Uh, I, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say quickly now that I haven't asked you? Uh, no. Other right. than, it's, you know, it's been a ple- it's, uh, pleasure talking to you and uh, a pleasure doing this for LMP. And I hope you watch the films, basically, if I may plug them. Well, be... well, I mean, that is the purpose of this. So, yes, absolutely, <laughs> you're, you should be doing it. Uh, thank you ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Warmly welcome. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Emergency Classical Music Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to the episode, please consider supporting the podcast series for as little as $2 a month. Just visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support.